Hello, friends. This is Ryan Stewart, associate producer at Chat with Leaders Media. I wanted to wish you all season's greetings as you are in your time of vision casting and planning for the new year as we are. We wanted to ensure a steady drip of wisdom hitting your feed to encourage and inspire your leadership. We care deeply about supporting your leadership development through the wisdom of our guests and helping purpose-driven leaders like you continue to be a force for good in the world. Today, we are revisiting one of our episodes from the Leadership Vault. Over to you, Jeff. Welcome to Chat with Leaders. Our mission is to give resilient servant leaders a platform for sharing the inspiring things they're doing to lead their teams, customers, and themselves wisely. I'm Jeff Bond, Director of Client Services at AppBerry, and today's host, I'm proud to welcome J.P. James, Chairman at Hive Financial Systems, Venture Capitalist, and 2020 President of Thai Atlanta. J.P., thank you so much for joining us on Chat with Leaders. Thanks, my honor. Listen, JP, the point of this show is to give our guests a platform to share what's inspiring their leadership, any specific challenges they're working to overcome. And we're not short of challenges in the coronavirus of 2020. We're in that era. And some of the principles that you're putting into practice to lead faithfully and experience success in this current time. So I'll jump right in. The first question I have for you is what major changes have you had to adapt to in your leadership roles as the result of the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, you know, Thankfully, our company has been doing really well. It's a technology company. We already have the ability to work from home. But our customers are, are consumers that typically live paycheck to paycheck. And it's interesting when you're leading a company, sometimes it's leading the team internally. But what has been more focused is how do we take care of the customer with the challenges that they're facing? How do we communicate? How do we show empathy? They're in a tough situation, and there's not really any way that, you know, yes, my mom was a nurse, my dad was an engineer, we grew up in a middle-class lifestyle, and looking at a lot of the situation, it's not that I look down or up at anybody's situation, but I've had a lot of privilege. Yes, I've worked my butt off. Yes, I've had a lot of stumbles and struggles, and I've learned from those, but so much like Warren Buffett always says, I was born in this country. That's the jackpot right there. And being able to take advantage of that opportunity has been a blessing. But a lot of the people that, you know, our customers need support. So it's been key to communicate to the team. I'm actually hosting a town hall with our global team in India, Panama, Costa Rica, all throughout the United States about what does it mean our company's values are and how we can translate that to our customers. So that's one major thing. The other thing is really, you know, I've got a lot of investments in early stage, fast growth type companies. And I'm very understanding. I'm more of an entrepreneur than an investor. So I don't really put a lot of pressure on these companies as they're dealing with tough times, try to be supportive. We've actually reinvested in two of the companies very recently. But a lot of early new angel investors in the community, you know, who haven't been doing it for decades, are scared. And I think they have overreacted in some cases. And understandably, I've always said, if you're going to do angel investing or investing in growth companies, you got to spread across a lot of baskets. But what's happened is I've become a coach and mentor to a lot of those companies. I've been meeting with them constantly. That's taking a lot of time, effort, and energy to really be a support mechanism for them as they're trying to figure out how to raise capital in a massive potential down round where a lot of these companies are struggling if they're going to even survive. 
So I've had to coach some of the angel investors and do a lot of uh, coaching and mentoring to entrepreneurs. And then even more importantly, thankfully coming into a really strong market on the nonprofit side, most of the nonprofit organizations that I've been working with, both on safety and security ones that I do, and a lot of the children's charities and programs and leadership, thankfully it's been really great. We've had none of the charities really suffer yet in terms of donors and sponsorship, mainly because we are coming from a strong market. That being said, I think the next two to three years are going to be very challenging. There's typically a lagging effect of the donations that may have been really strong with a strong market and coming back. So I've been having to give guidance, you know, years in advance, next year and the year after today, so they can be prepared, lean up, cut down all the expense infrastructure, cut down obviously events and stuff aren't happening, but be really cash conscious as we're moving forward. So you talked a little bit about the two to three years down the line and just preparing for the inevitable and being able to forecast that. How do you prepare entrepreneurs, I love that you said you're an entrepreneur before you're an investor, but you're both. For To be an entrepreneur, it takes a lot of courage right now in this time. So knowing kind of what lies ahead and as you're coaching people, how are you building confidence? What are the types of things that you're saying to entrepreneurs? And what are the common themes that you're hearing from them in terms of their worries and anxieties and, and trying to get past those now? So it's tricky. So I constantly build companies, you know, building companies before, during, and after dot-com crash, 2008 crash, uh, this crash. I'd say second time around, uh, you're a lot better prepared. But for a lot of the entrepreneurs, this is the first time they've seen a recession. You know, I've got employees and entrepreneurs that are uh, Gen Z. They didn't really even experience the last recession. So I'm always counter-cyclical meaning I'm already preparing for the boom and actually the next recession. I know it sounds insane to be talking about that right now, but your ability to not predict, but prepare is more important. So what is, is meaning like if you're screwed and I've talked to a lot of people, I say, just cut it as quickly as you can do whatever you can to survive and support the people that you can, but don't bleed to death. And I've got a lot of friends that are restaurant owners. They had to fire a thousand employees in the greater Atlanta area. They've got restaurants all around the country. We had a conversation the week before the shelter in place in Georgia. And I said, hey, the reality is if you survive as a company, then you can hire more people and grow this as an organization. If you bleed a slow death and you dilute everything that you've got, yes, people will hang on for a little bit but there will be nothing left to be able to build back from. And so I think the hardest decision that any entrepreneur, and I'm the worst person, it's almost impossible for me to let any employee go. I actually have to have a team of people to help me with that process because I emotionally care about the family and the people. And even I'm the worst. I need coaching and I need my board to help me make those really tough decisions. But I will tell you, a company that survives is one that can grow and hire. A company that dies has to start from scratch. And if you start from scratch, you're now three, five years away from being able to get going again versus holding on to cash, surviving, bridging the gap, and then coming back on the backside. That being said, on the consumer side, if you're facing that, it's a completely different situation. I mean, I would be the first person to try to take any type of financial means from maybe family and friends to support me through a challenging time. And Understand that uh, dignity is not pride. 
being prideful is what I've seen a lot of people do. And I think that dignity is that you can face your adversity head on, tell the truth to the people that are around you in good and bad times so that you know who's going to be there to support you on the interim. You know, I love that you've been part of this Atlanta community and investing in it for so long. You were talking to me the other day about why Atlanta is a great place to live, why it's a great place to be an entrepreneur and to run a business. Talk to me a little bit about why you've chosen Atlanta out of all regions where you've had opportunities to move and do business. That's a great question. I've got family and friends, obviously, around the world. I've done business in East Asia, India, Europe. I've got team employees and operations in India, Central South America. You know, I've got company and investments in New York, in San Francisco, in Texas, all throughout the world, I would say. And I've traveled a lot as well, having that you know, fortunate ability to do business and travel. I love Atlanta. It's one of those crazy things. I was commuting for years up to Manhattan when I had an investment fund. And everything said I should probably just move there instead of commuting every week up to the city. But, you know, end of the day, and a lot of people have said this, is it worth having that extra bedroom and commuting an extra hour? But you got to do that commute every single day. And I kind of have looked at that with Atlanta. I could build my business maybe a little bit faster. Maybe the network might be a little bit bigger. And a lot of people complain about the traffic and all this other stuff. But I've always chosen that the well-being of peace of mind, I know it sounds like an obvious thing. But I remember, partially has to do with my wife, Mary, a sense of peace of mind at the end of the day is probably about the best thing for sustainability. If you're trying to do a sprint and you want to burn out, sure, you can do the travel, you can do the commuting. I did that and I burned out. But I think for sustainability, for building companies, you got to be in a situation that has a flow with your value system. And for me, my values are super critical. and I don't want to compromise. And I'm not saying other cities and places are bad, but for my flow, so we've got this acronym at the company, Peach, my head of operations, she came up with it. Partnership, execution, aptitude, communication, humility. And those are things that I've found in the people that I've found in Atlanta. And the irony is most of the people that I work with in Atlanta are not Atlantan. But obviously, the cost of living is a lot lower here. It's been easy to hire great talent cost-effectively. Lifestyle is great. The other thing that a lot of people take for granted being Atlanta is your space. I know we're in a time of social distancing, and I was trying to explain I'm on the Innovation Council for businesses across Georgia. And you really look, there's a downside of urban sprawl, but you can live like a king here for what you could get pretty much in any major metropolitan in the entire world. Great lifestyle. I can live in the city. I live only a couple miles away from the office and there's enough space for the kids to run around. They're running around in the cul-de-sac, cycling, playing. And there's that old neighborhood feel that I always loved when I was growing up. You know, my sister, I love my sister, but she's in New Jersey and she recently moved further away from the city just to get a little bit slice of that. Well, that further is like now an hour and a half from the city. And they've had to change their whole life to figure out just the logistics of travel because of that. So there's lifestyle, there's cost of living. And yes, a lot of people complain about investment capital. Don't worry about it. I've been raising capital pretty much my entire adult career. Capital follows good deals. Yes, it's easier in proximity, but I got the Atlanta airport. I have a direct, almost nonstop flight to everywhere in the entire world. And that's made it really easy for us to do business and investors all around the world. So I'm not even worried about capital markets in Atlanta 
if you've got a great company that's scaling, you'll be able to find the capital wherever. All great points, and Atlanta's a great place to do business. And by the way, we are in the Peach State, for those that you don't know. So the Peach acronym is uh, very apropos. JP, let's close out with a call to action. I typically draw on that from a guest, but I'd love to hear your perspective. If there was one key takeaway or some words of wisdom that you would want to share with leaders in general right now about how they're navigating through COVID-19, forging ahead, planning for the future in different cycles, what would that be? That's a great question. And it's a emotional question because I know that I'm privileged and thankfully companies have worked out and my family is doing well. But right now, a lot of people are able to hide behind the camera. And I have noticed that people don't even want to connect with the tragedy that's happening to feel the emotions and the problems that people are facing. I get to that point almost every day where I almost can't hold it in because I am not here to sit back and relax in my chair, in my bubble. I have been given these talents to give back to the community. And I challenge, yes, a lot of our companies are going through either ups, maybe catastrophic downs. But if you're watching this, you're probably more on the privileged side. I'm not saying that you're doing extremely well or not so well or whatever, but I'm pretty confident that you're doing much better than a lot of people. And I think this arm's length distance from reality is not what should be happening now. I think now is the time, not just to write checks, but to be a emotional support, not only to your employees, but to people. Yes, there's the, I've heard all the stories. I've reconnected with my friends from youth and my, my neighbors and my parents and all this stuff. And that's great. But I think the hard part is understanding that we're human. And with it being a digital framework, you unfortunately or fortunately have access to the entire world. And being naive about the struggles that people are going through because it makes you feel better. Like, oh, I see it from a distance. I'm going to watch it on news or TV. I'm not a big person on TV. I literally got a subscription to a newspaper a few years ago, and I physically read because it's a lot quieter. But at the same time, I think that, yes, you need to make sure you're emotionally strong. It always goes the adage, if you're in an airplane and it's going down, put the mask on yourself first, then support the person next to you. And that's important. I still believe that today. But once that's over, I think that you do need to support the person who's next to you. And nine times out of 10, unless you have family sitting next to you in an airplane, it's a stranger. And I think that's where the conversation has to start. And you know, I'm super passionate about a lot of nonprofit work uh, that I'm in. There's the food issue. There's a starvation issue. A lot of kids, obviously the financial is a catastrophe. Yes, we're trying to support our direct family and extended family. But I think that you grow as a person when you help people that you don't even know, in addition to the people that you know. And now is the time, I think, more than ever, that if you're not involved with charities, and I'm not talking about writing checks. I know a lot of people write a lot of checks, which is great. But you need to get emotionally involved with these kind of situations. And I'd say as a leader, if you don't understand on a daily basis what people are going through in the world, then you're part of the problem, in my opinion. And it's easy to say, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, every day go through that process to engage with people and support people where they are, not where you want them to be. And I think that's very important for us as leaders in the community. So remarkably said, I've always been impressed with your passion and your energy and your authenticity, JP. I'm so grateful to have you on the show and for your inspiration to be shared with our guests. 
So we'll close there. If you have any questions for myself, Tim, or Chris, uh, email us at info at chat with leaders. You can stay up to date with our blog posts as well as all of our episodes on chatwithleaders.com or we'd be thankful if you would subscribe and listen and share and rate review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. JP, thank you again so much for your gift of leadership. Thanks, Jim.